If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 17. If you don't have your Bibles, there are pew Bibles right in front of you. Grab those, turn to John chapter 17. While you're getting that place, also, we're starting a new series called Core. Uh, now, Core is the, the foundation upon which everything else is built. And we're going to look at, at the core of our lives and our church, all right? And uh, so if uh, uh, we're doing things a little bit differently, uh, not only am I asking you to, uh, uh, to have your Bibles open, but there are these little note sheets uh, that you should have uh, got, uh, received as you walked in earlier. Uh, and if you do not have a note sheet, I'm going to ask you to get one, okay? Now, you don't have to get up. All you have to do is lift your sweet little hand, and we will have people bring you a note sheet, okay? So if you don't have a note sheet, Raise that hand so we can get you a note sheet. All these students over here do not have note sheets. They need note sheets because it will protect them from doing all the things that they're tempted to do that you adults have adjusted to, and you can do it without me knowing it, you think. They just don't know how to get away with it yet. Um, Like sleep. Some of y'all sleep with your eyes open. It's really amazing. I'm... Yeah, I actually had, there was a guy in in church uh, in Mississippi who did sleep with his eyes open. The reason you knew he was asleep was when he snored. When his eyes were wide open the whole time. That is pretty scary. I want to know why the grays are in the wrong place. Because this is really confusing to me because this crew should be over here. But, you know, I appreciate you shaking up. I mean, we have a family down here that's usually at the 8 o'clock service that's at the 11 o'clock service, not even sitting in the same seat where you usually sit, which is very confusing for me. Um, it, y'all realize, of course, I know where you sit. I know who you are, and I know what you're doing. Isn't it great to have the Master's Choir? What an awesome privilege it is. <clears throat> you know, we are not a monolithic church. Uh, we believe that it is vitally important for all of us to grow together. Uh, so we have multi generations who lead in worship and who participate in the service and ministry of our church. And uh, uh, we are thankful for each generation in the Master's Choir did a spectacular job leading in three of the four worship gatherings that we have uh, here uh, uh, at 312, uh, three of the five, three of the six worship gatherings that we have here at 312. So uh, uh, we want to thank God for them. Also, students, if you have not heard already, on April the Uh, 12th at 6 o'clock and April the 13th beginning at 1 o'clock, there is a wonderful weekend gathering called Renew. And you want to be a part of Renew. It begins at 6 on uh, that Friday night and continues at 1 o'clock on Saturday. Uh, You come. It's it's designed for you to gather with with us uh, so that you can worship. There's going to be some worship. There's going to be some Bible study, connecting with friends and with God. It's going to be a great time all we ask that you do is bring a, a one uh, canned food item uh, for the Union Mission. Now, I normally don't make announcements like that, but my daughter, Elizabeth, put this up here for me to announce. And since she put it up there, I announce that. In fact, she says, talk about me, please, right there. Um, <laughs> Anyway, all right, so we begin this series called Core, and it's going to last five weeks, and over these next five weeks, we're looking at uh, the vision that God has for our church. And by the way, here's big picture. As we look at Core, uh, we're looking at uh, the vision for our church, but here's, it's not innovation. That's not vision. Vision is not innovation for the church. 
You see, the vision for our church is Christ's vision for his followers. And if you're a filler in the blanker, there's the first blank. Uh, The vision of our church is Christ's vision for his followers. See, the vision that God has for our church is that ancient vision that has been from the very foundation of time that we looked at in Ephesians chapter 1. It is God from the very beginning of time had the church on his mind and, and uh, the gathering of God's people, the gathering of, 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 of Christ's followers. And, and he, he had us on his mind. So, so our, uh, our vision is an ancient vision. Now, when I say ancient, I'm not talking 1950s, 1920s, 1890s, or uh, 1750s. All right? I'm not, that's not ancient. Ancient is very beginning of time. Okay, so, so it is an ancient vision, but also it's a future vision. It is a vision that embarks upon tomorrow. God has a vision for our church that is Christ's vision for his followers that encompasses us in our past, in our present, and in our future. So we have this ancient future vision that is unveiled for us primarily through Scripture. So as we look at Scripture, we discover Christ's vision for his followers, which is the vision of our church. All right. So Christ's vision for our church is what we're looking at uh, when we're looking at this core series. And, and today we're looking at this supreme ambition that we're to have as a church. See, you and I, we, we have a lot of different ambitions in life. And I understand that. I have different ambitions. Uh, got to satisfy one of the ambitions on Monday and Tuesday. Went off and, and uh, um, went camping, you know, went backpacking and and it was k- 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 cold. I mean, it was f- 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 freezing cold. And you know, the bad thing about camping in the cold solo is that you're solo. And, uh, you know, I mean, it, it, there is, uh, you, uh, fires will not take care of that kind of cold. And, and uh, it was funny, I, I, I was in my tent and, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're several miles from, from the trailhead. There's no way that you're going to uh, really reasonably hike out in the cold. You might as well just try to suffer it through. And uh, I'm there in the tent, and I've got every piece of clothing that I have on my body. And I have uh, I have these little uh, those little uh, um, uh, silver blankets. You know, they're supposed to keep your body warm. And I have that. And I have my sleeping bag. And and I have a fire that's going. And and uh, but the fire eventually went out because I was too cold to get up. And stoke the fire. Uh, well, you know, that's what happens for us sometimes in the church. We, we get so comfortable, so cozy in, uh, in, 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 our, in our own little cocoon uh, that we'll let the fire go out. We'll let our ambition, the, the right ambition, go out. We'll let, it, we'll let it just trip because we're comfortable and we don't want to get cold. We don't want to go through the discomfort of getting up and being cold. And so in the church, what happens is we, uh, and in our individual lives as followers of Christ, we will sacrifice the supreme ambition in Christ's vision for our church for our comfort. Now, as we look at supreme ambition from John chapter 17, we're looking primarily at Christ's ambition that becomes our ambition. All right? So this ambition is simply this. This is the one thing we can't get wrong. Now, we can get a lot of things wrong in the church, and we do, right? I mean, that, that's just part of it. We can get a lot of things wrong, but this one thing we cannot get wrong. This is the core upon which all other cores are built. 
That this is the, the, the singular, fundamental thing we must get right. Our church exists for God's glory. Our church exists to glorify God. That's, that's the blank. Our church exists to glorify God. And we can't get this wrong. If we get this wrong, we are dysfunctional and headed for the cliff. And by the way, as a follower of Christ, you can't get this wrong either. I can't get this wrong. But so often we do. Now listen to what Jesus said. John chapter 17, beginning of verse 1, says that, that uh, Jesus opened his mouth, said these things, lifted his eyes toward heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son might also glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he might give eternal life to as many as you have given to him. And this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work you have given me to do. And, uh, and now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And Jesus makes it very clear that he existed on the earth. The reason he had his earthly ministry was to glorify God, period. And as followers of Christ and as the body of Christ and as the bride of Christ, the same holds true for us. Our reason for existence is God's glory. Now, you might say, yes, that's right. Way to go. Preach it. Preach it. Some of y'all know the <laughs> Westminster Catechism. Chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And you say, yeah, man, that's right. Um, but it's not enough to know it. We must live it. See, here's the problem. We'll say, yes, I live for God's glory. But the question is, am I really living for God's glory? Living for God's glory is where we, get this, where we will sacrifice everything else. Everything that will detour us, detract us, or distract us from God's glory. We will give up everything else for the glory of God. To glorify God means that we, we will give all of our lives to display his love and his mercy and his grace and his, and, and, and his truth to a watching world. To glorify God means that, that we exalt him above all other things and his desires above all other things and his work above all other things. To glorify God... To glorify God means that we are intentionally focused on doing the very things that please Him, even at the expense of the things that please us. Say that one again. To glorify God means that we will do whatever it takes, do all the things that please God, even at the expense of the things that please us. And this has to be the chief thing. This has to be the great priority. For the church, it has to be the great priority. And there comes the rub. See, for many of us gathered here, we believe the church exists for me. Not for me, Eric Thomas, but for me, you and me individually. 
Well, this church exists to meet my needs. This church exists to make me happy. This church exists to make me comfortable. This church exists for me. Wrong. This church exists for the glory of God. Even if that means you're not happy. Or I'm not happy. See, here's what happened. And y'all know this about church, don't you? I mean, if you're not a church-going person, maybe you don't know this. I'm a church-going person. have been all my life. I understand this stuff, and I know the, I know the difficulty that, that, that it poses. Here's the way it works. We start thinking that what I want, what makes me comfortable, what makes me happy is the most important thing. And when I don't get my stuff... I get this little burr under my saddle and I start getting frustrated and angry and and miffed about how my stuff is not getting done and my desires are not being met and my my preferences and my agenda, they're they're not being satisfied. So we get this little burr under our saddle and that burr under our saddle becomes the most important thing we got going on in our minds. And so we start focusing on this burr under our saddle. Oh, you've gathered here today and your burr has defined and, de- and determined what you've been thinking about this whole time that you've been gathered here. And we become distracted by the burrs under our saddle. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to have a burr under your saddle. I have plenty of them. Like a ton. I have, I have, I have a ton of burrs under my saddle. It's not wrong necessarily to have a burr under your saddle. It's wrong, however, when you exalt that burr under your saddle above the honor and fame of God. It it, it looks like this. Uh, I have what I want, and that's the most important thing in the church. And that's where we stop. It's all about me. But see, what Jesus said is, I'm going to give up my life for the glory of God. Jesus said, I'm giving up my comfort. I'm giving up the throne of heaven. I'm giving up my my dignity. I'm giving up my honor. I'm giving up everything for the glory of God. Jesus would not be deterred, distracted, or uh, would not allow anything detract from God's glory in his life. And we as a church must have that same commitment where we will sacrifice everything else in order to bring glory and honor to the living God. Now, what Jesus does, he describes what it means to glorify God. Look look down in, I don't know which verse it is. He says, uh, I think it's verse 4. He says, I have... I have uh, glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work you've given me to do. I've glorified you on the earth. I've finished the work that you've given me to do. Now, the way it's described there, Jesus said, here's what it means to glorify God. You do what it takes to please God. You finish the work that he's given. Well, what was the work that God gave Jesus to do? Look up in verse 2. I have to start verse 1. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son also might glorify you. Verse 2, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he might give eternal life to as many as you've given to him. And this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you sin. Here's, here's, here's the work that God gave Jesus to do. That was to give eternal life to people who did not have it. Now, friends, let's make it very clear. If we're going to glorify God, it's because we are doing the work that God has given us to do. 
It's where God's work becomes the most important thing. Not your preference, but God's work. Not your happiness, but God's work. Not your desires, but God's work. Not what tickles your fancy, but God's work. And what is God's work? God's work is eternal life to people who do not have it. That's God's work. Not, again, not, not me getting, getting smarter, not me getting bolder, not me getting uh, happier, not me getting fatter. That's not God's work. God's work is giving eternal life to as many as God ha- has put in our path. So our church exists not for your pleasure, but for God's pleasure. And it's your job and my job to find our great pleasure. This is a different core, but it's our job to find our greatest pleasure in God's pleasure. And see how it works? If we live for God's glory, then our pleasure will be found in his pleasure. Instead, what churches do and what creates dysfunction in a church and in followers of Christ is we say God's pleasure is not as important as my pleasure. And that's where we begin the journey. Where we begin to say, my pleasure is the most important thing. My happiness, my comfort, me sleeping cocooned in my, in my, in my snuggly bed. That's the most important thing. Not, not stoking the fire, not pursuing God's glory. So today, as we gather here, let's be very clear. Our church exists to glorify God, even at the expense of your happiness or mine. The question is, are you glorifying God? That's the question. And if you're not, and by the way, I understand not. I understand that part. Now, I mean, let, let's just be honest. I, I'm just like you are in this. I mean, I understand how to get distracted and detoured and detract from God's glory. I understand how I do that. I have done it. I will do it again, probably. I hope not, but probably I will. So I understand it. It's not confusing for me. The difference, perhaps, between you and me is that I will admit it and you won't. And I'll admit it in front of everybody. And you won't even admit it to God. It needs to change. It can change today. Today, if you and I are not glorifying God, then let's admit it. Let's confess it. Let's repent of it. Let's let's get started moving forward. For God's glory. What in the world would happen to a church that was absolutely, radically devoted to God's glory? Everything would change. Oh my goodness, they wouldn't be able to stop what God does through the church because we are so committed to God's honor and fame to do the work which God has given us to do. We exist for God's glory. Now we exist for God's glory. And we glorify God by making missionary followers of Christ. We glorify God by, by, by de- developing missionary followers of Christ. Um, but before we unpack how this works in John 17, let me sh- let's return to Matthew chapter 28. All right, So Matthew chapter 28, Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. He's about to ascend to the right hand of the throne of God. Matthew 28, beginning verse 18. Jesus says, all authority has been given me in heaven and earth. Therefore, as you go, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things, whatever I've taught you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus is very clear. He says, hey, listen, here's the mandate. 
You want to do the work that God has given you to do? You want to glorify God? Then make disciples. In making disciples, we as a church, we've said, here's what a missionary, here's what a disciple looks like. Here's what a missionary follower of Christ looks like. It's a person who loves God, loves others, and lives the mission. Person who loves God, loves others, and lives the mission. In our life groups, in our small group structure, our life groups, we see that, that this is a place for us to connect with, one, connect with God, connect with one another. It's a place for us to grow as followers of Christ. It's a place for us to serve and learn to serve one another and to serve the church and to serve God's glory in the community. And it's a place for us to go on mission for God. You see, our life groups, that's, that's where the action takes place. Certainly, we can, we can have uh, uh, making disciples in this room, and, 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 and we'll talk about that in a second. But, but we do have making disciples in this room. But, but here's where the real action happens. It happens in the life groups, whether on campus or off campus. It happens in that small five to ten groups, uh, five to ten people gathered together, sharing life together, connecting with one another, connecting with God, growing in, in, in their relationship with God. Serving, discovering their spiritual gifts and learning how to serve others and then going. I think one of our college students in service today, God compelled her, compelled her to start an off-site Bible study. And she said, absolutely. Now, she didn't just wake up one day and say, that's what I'm going to do. God took her on a journey where she was connecting with others and with him where she was growing as a student of, Christ, of God's word and, and growing as a follower of Christ, where, where she began to understand how that God had gifted her to serve. And then she went. She, she went. See, that's, that's what's supposed to happen in our small group structure, in our life group structure, where intimacy begins to expand into mission so that in every life group we are consumed with this passion to glorify Christ. And that, that has to be our passion in, in the life groups, as well as in the church, and, and in our home, and, and in our lives. So we, we develop missionary followers of Christ, and, and that's not a suggestion, that's a mandate. Jesus said, as you go, make disciples. All right? So the question is, are, 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 you, are you making disciples? Are you part of that journey? Are you becoming a missionary follower of Christ? Are you part of that journey? See, if we're going to glorify God, if we're going to, if we're going to fulfill our supreme ambition, if we're going to set as top priority what God has us in existence to do, we need to, we need to be part of the process of making missionary followers of Christ. So what does that look like? Well, in John 17, we, we see that it begins with eternal life. Okay, so you're not going to be a missionary follower of Christ until you receive eternal life. Eternal life is that very first step. And, and, and so we, we look at, uh, again, John chapter 17, uh, look at verse 2, um, where he says, uh, uh, um, I have to start verse 1. Father, glorify your son that your son might also glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given to him. Eternal life. That, that's, that's the first step on this journey of, uh, as a church of, of, of developing missionary followers of Christ. We share eternal life with others. 
We, we share, share with them the great good news of God's rescuing love brought to us through faith in Jesus Christ. So if you're looking at your blank, there's number one, blank life. That is eternal life, okay? Eternal life. Uh, so we have this, this wonderful privilege. And, and guys, I've got to tell you, I've got to tell you, sometimes we get confused into thinking that the reason the church exists is to take care of me and my spiritual needs. Well, certainly that, that's part of it. We'll look at that in a second. But, but, but we cannot sacrifice this great calling, this great mandate, this great mission to, to make missionary followers of Christ. We have to share with people eternal life. We have to show them that Jesus Christ can rescue them from, from their despair. We've got to share the gospel. And last week, as we gathered together in all of our Easter gatherings, over 62 people crossed the line of faith to become followers of Jesus Christ. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. I say that, and some of y'all maybe even clapped your hands, but you're, you're far more concerned about the burr under your saddle than you are about one person or 62 people coming to faith in Christ. You're miffed about your burr, and you don't give a rip about the 62. And that's the problem. We're not glorifying Christ when, when, when we're just settled on this little burr. Listen, Jesus came to save sinners, right? Huh? Aren't you glad he did? So why would we keep it to ourselves once we receive it? You know, the one thing, and I've got to tell you this, and this is, I don't know that I've ever said this, but, and I didn't say it in the other, say it in the other service, probably shouldn't say it now, but I'm going to. Spirit of God, help me. Um, the one thing, one thing that just absolutely makes me chew nails into mad. The one thing that just drives me nuts is the absolute arrogance of believers who have received salvation from a loving God and then act like everybody else who doesn't know Christ is an interloper, a stranger, someone that should be stiff-armed rather than embraced. It just makes me so mad because somewhere along the line, we forgot that we were the interloper. Somewhere along the line, we forgot that we were the one apart from Christ, apart from the covenants of promise, <coughs> living with, without God and without hope in this world. And we stand in judgment over people that we were just like. And we condemn them and we withhold eternal life. We don't even talk to them about Jesus. And yet we say we're glorifying God. Baloney. So in the church, here's our journey. We're, we're going to commit ourselves every day throughout every process and, 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 and particle of our church that we are going to go and share eternal life to people who do not have it. Jesus said, I have come to share eternal life. That they might know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Then he says, I have, I have glorified you on the earth. I've finished the work that you've given me to do. Guys, how in the world can we get so busy doing all the silly things that we do and forget that the first thing that we are to do is in making disciples is share eternal life with people who don't have it? 
So as we're making missionary followers of Christ, we share eternal life. And, and as they cross the line of faith to become a follower of Christ, then we show them a joyful life. We show them a joyful life. Now, I want you to, I want you to focus in on verse 13. Then we're going to skip back up to verse 6. Look at verse 13. Jesus said, but now I come to you. He's talking to God the Father. Now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world. Here's why. That they, us, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So Jesus is saying all this stuff so that, so that we might be filled up and overflowing with joy. Now, don't you want to have joy? Can I tell you, you've already got all the joy that you need because you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? We've got all the joy that we could ever want or need because we have Jesus. But you and I both know that that's a journey of of embracing that and living in that. Sometimes we get lost in, in the this's and the that's of life. So that we lose sight that our joy, the real joy, the joy that fills us up and, 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 and satisfies us is a joy that comes from Christ. So as, as Jesus in verse 13 says, these things I've spoken that you might have joy, that my joy might be, might remain in them, might, might be filled up in them. What are these things? What, what did he tell them? How do we, how do we get to that joyful life? Again, this is part of missionary followers of Christ in, a, in the church. We, we, um, we believe it is vitally important for us to help you and you help us to be students of the Word. See, being a student of the Word of God is what gives us the joy, what keeps us grounded in the joy who is Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 6. He says, I've manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your Word. Now they have known that all things which you gave me are from you. I've given them the words which you have given me, and they received them. And have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. And Jesus is saying, I've given them your word. And, 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 and it is the word of God that leads us to a joy-filled life because it connects us with God. That's why our life groups are so important. Our life groups, whether on campus or off campus, are so important because one of the primary roles of a life group is to connect with God through his word. Friends, we need to be students of the word. I've got to tell you, some of y'all are miserable. At least you look miserable most Sundays. And I would just, some of you come to me, I'm miserable. Well, why are you miserable? I don't know. I've got this and that. Well, of course you've got this and that. That's called life. Life is filled with the thises and the thats, but here's where the joy comes when we connect with God through his word. Why? Because God's word connects us not only with the person of Christ, but also with the promises of God. Now we, we need the promises of God. Look down in verse 14. Here, here's, here's promise. Jesus says, I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I don't pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them, that you would keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So what's he saying? He saying, here's where joy comes from. It flows from the word of God that connects us with the person of God. 
and ties us to the promises of God. And what is a promise of God? That in the midst of a hate-filled world and the attack of the enemy who is the devil, we can stand secure because God is guarding us. It's about time for us as a church to abandon ourselves into absolute dependence Uh, abandon ourselves with absolute dependence upon the protective care of a loving God. We need to abandon ourselves, not hedge in our bets, just abandon ourselves into the protective care of a loving God. He's the one who guards us. He's the one who keeps us. Today, today, so many of us are, 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 Man, we're not reading God's word and we're not connected uh, to, to God through his word. We're, 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 we're living according to the promises of a Dr. Phil or an Oprah or, or Chuprog Nakrog Huga. We'll look at our horoscope. We'll look at our horoscope on Facebook before we'll open God's word. We're depending upon all these fake things to to make us feel secure and we wonder why we lack joy. Friends, as followers of Christ, as the church, it is vitally important for us to show what a joyful life looks like. And that's when we connect with God's word, connect with God through his word, and live with absolute abandon to the protective care of a loving God. Guys, I know, I know, I know it's tough. It's tough to do that blind leap. But remember into whose arms you're leaping blind. It is the living God who has loved us enough to rescue us. There's where joy is. So we have eternal life. We have a joyful life. And as as a church, what we commit to do, what we commit to do is we commit to share the gospel. Whether it's at the gathering or whether it's in in the home or whether it's in the community, we're going to share the gospel. We'll look at that in a second. We commit to show uh, a joyful life by opening God's word, by studying God's word, by sharing God's word together in our life groups and in the gatherings, whether that life group takes place in our home or in the communities or here at church. We're going to open God's word. We're going to connect with God through his word and connect with one another as we open God's word. We're, we're, going to, we're going to cling to the promises of God and live according to those promises that are unpacked in God's word because he is going to set us apart in security by his word, by his truth, and his word is truth. His word is reliable. We can depend on it, folks. So as a church, we're going to commit to do all that we can to be students of his word. Because that's where joy comes from. Third aspect of this developing missionary followers of Christ is ascent life. Ascent life. Now, in our life group structure, we have connect with God and others. We have grow in our relationship with Christ. We have serve in our capacity with one another and in the communities. And we have go, go, go. See, part of our problem as a church and where it gets dysfunctional is we're happy about the eternal life and the joyful life because that's easy. That's what we do when we get together. But it becomes a little bit more challenging when bringing glory to God means we do something. 
Now remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work you have given me to do. Work. Boom. Roll up your sleeves, take a risk, and do something. And he describes what that doing is. Look at verse 18. Father, he says, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Here it is. God did not call us as a church to cocoon behind the walls of of this building or any other building. God did not call us to cocoon as, uh, as, as scared little sheep hiding from uh, the, the meanies out there. God did not call us to shrink into the shadows and become um, this uh, little uh, cloister of, of holy-type people. No, God called us, First Baptist Church Norfolk, to live sent lives, to go into the world in the same way that Jesus went into the world. To go into our community, go, go, to, go to our community sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. To, to go to our neighborhood, to our homes where, where we live and, and gather with people uh, that are our family or those who are like our family. Get our neighbors together and share them, with them the reason for the hope that is within us because they have no hope. To go to our work and, and, and to go to our schools and, 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 and to everywhere we go, we, we are to live a sent life. We're to live sharing, showing the good news of Jesus Christ. We are, we are to connect with people on a relational level. Gary Sanders is down here. Gary is the best on our staff, I believe, of connecting with people in his walk of life who don't know Jesus, connecting with them in a way that they don't feel creeped out or weirded out. You know, the way we all like to be connected with. Hey, how you doing? You know, and just kind of develop a, a friendship and a relationship. And, and Gary connects with them and spends time with them and, and develops that relationship for one reason, so that he might lead them to see their need for Jesus, embrace Jesus, and then grow up in Jesus so they in turn can live sent lives. And that's what we need to be about. Not, not just Gary Sanders because he's on staff, um, but all of us. Every life group needs to be connected to this one principle that we should always be on a journey with someone who doesn't know Christ so that we can help them see their need for Jesus. And you students, you have more people every day that you encounter who don't know Christ and you remain silent. Friends, that is not glorifying God. We as a church, we, we, we love to sit behind our cloistered walls and scream at culture and how bad it is and, 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 and blah, 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 blah. And we refuse to go out and share Jesus with someone who doesn't know him. We've got to live sent lives. See, to glorify Christ, to glorify God means that we're going to finish the work that he has given us to do. And we will work until the job is done. One of the commitments that we have with life groups is as we look at our life group structure, we're, we have life groups on campus and those are great and we're happy for them. But do you know that there are far more people who are outside the walls of this church than are inside the walls of this church? I, that's a duh moment, right? You know, We had 4,600 people who gathered with us at Easter time. How many people are in Hampton Roads? A lot more than 4,600. 
We believe that it is vitally important for us to go to where the masses are, just like Jesus did. By the way, Jesus did not spend a lot of time just hanging out in one synagogue. The majority of his ministry was walking through Galilee and and, and Capernaum and, 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 and Jerusalem and Jericho and all these places, Bethany and Bethany and Bethpage and, and all these places. Jesus was on a journey. Why? Because he was making disciples as he went, and that's what we're supposed to do. But some of us are so consumed with our little kingdoms here within this building that we refuse to consider that God is calling us beyond the wall. And so we're creating a dysfunction in the body. Here's what we need to be about. We need to be about doing what Jesus did. I mean, don't you want to follow in the steps of Jesus? Don't don't you want to be more like Jesus? Then we must do what Jesus did. So it comes down to eternal life, joyful life, sent life. Here's the thing. And and, and if we're going to glorify God, we've got to make disciples. And that's going to mean that we give up some stuff that we want. But that's okay because our greatest pleasure is God's pleasure. Right? I'm going to leave you with just a, a thought that Jesus uh, left in this prayer. And, and really, it's the challenge for all of us today. Begin verse 22. Jesus is finishing the prayer. He says, And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. Verse 26, and I have declared to them your name and will declare it, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. You want to know how we can know that we're glorifying God today? It's when we are united together under the banner of God's rescuing love. Setting aside our preferences, our agendas, setting aside our burrs under the saddle for the sake of God's glory. Today, if your agenda becomes all-important in your church experience, and that agenda is not the glory of God and the salvation of the lost and making disciples of those who are saved, then I'm going to challenge you to repent. Turn from that distraction and embrace with full force our priority, our supreme ambition, God's glory. When we gather together, we must gather together under the banner of God's love. Not some fake, syrupy, sentimental type thing that doesn't have any bearing on how we live. But a real love, a sacrificial love where we give up stuff that we might want for the sake of God's glory and for the benefit of one another.
In a couple of weeks, I'm going to preach a, all right, six weeks from now. I'm preaching a sermon series on what love looks like. And I may sing, I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. I won't. Um, Some of us speak a good game when it comes to love. But we're falling far short of God's glory when it comes to love. See, God's love that should saturate our hearts and bind our hearts together is a love built upon the sacrifice of Christ. A sacrifice that says, I'll give up everything. For the pleasure of God and the benefit of sinners. Today we we need to get together. To get together under the banner of this wondrous love and commit ourselves. I will live each moment for God's glory.